Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development discussion series featuring candid conversations with business leaders and innovators across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts on how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and talented workforces in the nation. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. To hear more discussions like this, visit the Michigan Opportunity at thegreatvoice.com. We'll be right back with more on the Michigan Opportunity. Welcome back to the Michigan Opportunity. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast or download the Michigan Opportunity through your preferred podcast platform. And now, your host, Ed Clemente. Hello, I'm your host, Ed Clemente, and we're up here at the Mackinac Policy Conference with the Detroit Regional Chamber, and we're very fortunate to have a really good guest, Richard Florida. He is a world's leading urbanist and international best-selling author of The Rise of the Creative Class, but I find more interesting, he's also a professor at the University of Toronto, one of the biggest universities we know in North America, um, and he also... I've seen you, I've been coming to these things, so I saw you originally when you came here, uh, with when you were working with the chamber before, and I know you really inspired me to even some of this for the podcast. Thank you, it's always great to be here. Yeah, and you know, and, and uh, welcome Richard, and you know, but I think I wanted to be, I don't know a futurist, but I, I always believe that strategically it's hard for government and private sector and nonprofits and higher ed to all work together to come up with some kind of plan. And I know that's what you've been working on. So can you kind of explain a little bit what you're doing up at this conference? Well, um, you know, I, I love Michigan, I, even though I'm not a Michigander. My wife is, is from here originally and her whole family. So we have two kids. She comes from a large family, so her five siblings are here. Her mom's here. And I think my kids have 13 or so cousins here. But then when you start the second cousins, holy, <laughs> it's, you know, it's well into the dozens. So my kids are actually up here and uh, at Mackinac. You know, during the pandemic, you couldn't cross borders. You mentioned we live in Toronto. So, you know, we'd go across and we'd endure the, the quarantine. But my kids didn't get to come as much and never been here to this great part of the world. So my kids got to see Mackinac. Yeah, what, one of the things... Oh, they're here on this oh, yeah. trip? Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, we're working there in the pool. Um, <laughs> Maybe it's kind of chilly sometimes. Yeah, so, so one of the things, you know, uh, Glenn Stevens at Mish Auto and Sandy, Sandy at the Detroit Chamber kind of thought, I know them pretty well, and kind of thought, given this ongoing transformation in the auto industry, the fact that, you know, the car is no longer the car we grew up with, with an internal combustion engine produced on a kind of, in a big assembly line. It's, this, it's, it's a new thing, right? We saw this with Tesla, but it's, in, it's powered by electricity, goes to an electric charger, but, but it's also not just that. It has self-driving or assisted driving. It, it's basically like an app, if you will. It's connected with software. Roads have sensors. So the whole ball of wax is changing. And, and in a way, it went from the old industry that wasn't sexy or cool. I liked it. 
you know, I come from the era, era of muscle cars and American great cars, but the younger people, you know, we're all captivated with cell phones and digital devices and laptops and computers and all of that. But now cars become exciting, at least for this new generation. So there's competition from Asia. There's competition on the research front, research and development front from parts of California, you know, where Tesla's R&D unit is. But Michigan still probably has the biggest you know, it has a big auto industry. It's growing, it's adding employment. It, it conducts about half of all the research and development in, tra in, in transportation equipment and about two-thirds in motor vehicles. The companies are making investments. What would it take to ensure that Michigan has as bright a future in this new car industry as in the old car industry? And that's why we call the report the Great Inflection. You know, Michigan's Great Inflection. How does it compete and prosper in this, this new era? And we think it can, as long as what, what you said, we can align these different, the universities, the businesses, the communities, and get together and do it right. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I had on a previous guest a while back, and you might have heard him, Dr. Prag Khanna, who talks quite he's a bit. He's a good friend. Oh, wonderful. He Prague's was on the podcast. Friend. And he's another guy like you that's so, you know, aspirational because, you know, people always ask me, like, why do you care about the future so much? And I go, because... I don't want to leave the planet, you know, no one lives forever, but what am I doing to make a difference? And it's not even like some kind of moral cause as much as like, how can you not try to make the world better? And I, I think guys like you and him really do care about, you know, legacy things that other people kind of can't think past four or five years sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and I think for me, you know, I, I got interested in cities and urbanism as a boy, you know, I, I was born in Newark, New Jersey, and I saw my city go up in flames. I saw tanks occupying the city, and as a young boy, I think I wanted to make sense of all of that. So I went into this field um, back when no one cared about cities, when cities were declining, deindustrializing, when the suburbs were the thing, and nobody cared about it. And then, you know, around the year 2000, cities started to come back, and interest grew. And now, in the year, you know, 2023, with remote work, People are all, where do I live? How do I live? Where should I go? Should I stay in the city? Should I move to the suburbs? Should I move to a new city? So it's become a hot subject, and, and I've gotten really lucky. And yeah, my whole life has been about purpose of trying to make cities and communities better. And, you know, for me, to be honest with you, doing this report is an important part of legacy because, you know, Michigan is where my wife's family's from. It's where my nieces and nephews live. And I feel like I should try to make a difference in the places everywhere, but particularly where our family's from. So, you know, I've been coming here a lot. I spent a lot of time in this state. I spend a lot of time here. I care about it deeply. So for me, to be honest with you, Ed, this, this is about doing something for the future, but doing something for my own personal legacy. I, I think you nailed that. Well, it's funny because I, I kind of believe that a lot of this discussion it can be counterintuitive to the general public sometimes when they try to hear stuff. But I believe more almost like in thinking in the way of civilization sometimes versus just pure humanity. I mean, humanity is very critical, obviously, but it's the building blocks for civilization. And civilization is what people look back at in history. They don't necessarily look how people cook stuff or what parties they went through or always the music. They want to see what is, you know, when you go to Europe, what are you looking at? You're looking at civilization or you go to China, you see civilization. And I think a lot of what I think you're doing is to try to get people to take a step back and realize 
We need to be thinking in broader strokes than just reactionary. We'll be right back with more on the Michigan Opportunity. Thanks for joining us on The Michigan Opportunity, brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Whether you're looking for small business resources, exploring an expansion or relocation, or seeking a world-class workforce, visit michiganbusiness.org to learn how you can make it in Michigan. Your host of The Michigan Opportunity, Ed Clemente. I um, also, another book I think you've probably read, but The Geography of Genius, or you heard of it? Of course. And that book really motivated me as well to realize how important kind of cities were because, you know, he takes these different eras of history and why did so many geniuses happen? But, I mean, he breaks it down to a certain formula, and I think cities are basic to all those formulas of people just bumping into each other, you know. You know, and this is what worries me now about the conversation about remote work, and we're all going to work in our den or our basement. We're never going to come in contact. We're never going to go to work. And, I, you know, it, look, I'm not talking about going to work in a cubicle farm in a faceless office. Nobody likes that with a long commute. But what, what's interesting about cities is this clash and collision and, and friction between people and, and how when people meet, you know, and, and Steve Jobs said this, the great innovator, but Jack White, uh, the great rock and roll musician originally from Detroit, now lives in Nashville, said that if you think about what makes a great startup ecosystem or what great, some great music scene, they said the same thing. It's the ability of talented people to combine and recombine in new, in new faces and new ways until something hits. You know, Jobs had to meet Wozniak. Jack White had to meet Meg White. And, and it, that happens all the time. And the first one might not hit or the second one might not hit. But out of that clash and collision comes. And, you know, there's a, a famous economist. He, he, he just passed away, Bob Lucas. Probably the greatest economist of, of the late 20th and early 21st century. And when he received his Nobel Prize, he wrote an essay. And his essay is what makes human economic development. Why do humans, why do societies develop economically? And in that article, he said the key thing was cities. And it, it's not because they have great shopping centers or it's not because they have great restaurants. All that's important. It's because in a city, that's where people multiply each other's talents. And, and, and in, it, because talented people come together in different domains in a city, they make each one another more productive and they create new innovations. And I think that's the geography of genius. We've seen that in studies, you know, they've done studies of writers in London in the 16th and 17th century and found they were far more productive and influential than writers in other parts of the United Kingdom. We can go on and on. Artists, you know, opera houses in Germany. The studies are, are innumerable, but they all find that cities do have this ability to activate human genius, but also increase productivity on the whole. Yeah, and, and, and I think you also touch on a little bit of the... Uh, the, the, again, the legacy sort of angle is that how things happen and, you know, I get the idea of legacy from another book, but it was uh, one on Thomas Jefferson. And I don't know, you've probably seen this quote, but like he has a legacy stone in, at, um, 
where he's buried at uh, his, Monticello. Uh, Monticello. But he's got like a headstone, but then he's got a legacy stone. Have you heard this? Mm, no, I haven't. So the legacy stone says like three other things. It says like, what was he most famous for in his life, right? But he picked three things. One was started the University of Virginia. He wrote the first uh, freedom of religions for the state of Virginia or the colony. And then he wrote the Declaration of Independence, right? And Not bad. Yeah. But he doesn't mention he was a president. He doesn't mention he was the ambassador to France or all the other things he did in his life and inventions he did. And and all those things get back to your point, I think, is that the legacy angle is what you're kind of looking for. It's, it's, it's hard to just focus on individuals all the time, but it's that chemistry of individuals that a city provides that will take us into our challenges for the future. What's so interesting about this, I, I find, is that more and more, you know, when I wrote this book, Rise of the Creative Class, it was very interesting. I think this is just multiplied. When you talk to kind of talented and creative people in arts, music, whatever, technology, software, they all kind of said the same thing. I want to work on great projects with great people in great spaces and great places. And we kind of imagine that technology takes the last part, great space. No, but it doesn't. Spaces and places out. In fact, there's more of that. And, and one of the interesting things that's happened, I think, over the past 20 years is not only have our cities, you know, who'd have thought Detroit would come back the way it has? And, and But not just Detroit. Look at Grand Rapids, you know. Look at what's happened in Grand Rapids. Another city people weren't, you know, weren't, didn't, didn't think would define a new era. But look at what's happened in Traverse City. Like, it's sort of magnificent. The Brookings Institution cited Traverse City as a community that understands the connection between place and talent. We can go on chapter and verse. Some of these suburbs that were kind of mundane places 20 years ago are now filled with activity, walkability, coffee shops, exciting places to go out to eat. And you've almost had this transformation in our country. And, and one of the reasons I think people can move around more and feel more comfortable is because so many places have become better. You know, and I, I think for me, when you talk about legacy, that, that's what excites me. The fact that we can create more places that are better, that, that young people and families feel more comfortable in, that, that people are excited by and that are energized by. I think that's what, that's what, what I've been trying to do. And I think when I think about Michigan, it has this incredible portfolio of places. It has a place for every kind of person. And, you know, as people age, that may change for them. It's not like just for every kind of person. You may change. You may like a big city when you're little, you know, young, then a great suburb when you have kids, whatever. Rural area when you're older or when you want to escape the crowd. So I think what's so exciting about Michigan is it has a port, and I talk about this in the report, it has this portfolio of places that, that offers something for everybody. And you sort of triggered my, when I had to do my thesis, um, but I did a, my degree was in organizational leadership, right? But I did my thesis on something that was really hard to prove, but it was um, like, or, or like leadership. And it was, is it art or science, right? So I did sort of a, a survey, you know, of leaders as to what they thought was this, you know, and I guess that's a question I'm putting to you a little bit is how much of this is art and how much is science? And I know that better answers, it's somewhere in between always. But how much of this could be a template? We, we had a company come or countries come in, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland just maybe four, about a year ago. And I gave them a tour. 
And they came to Detroit. They picked Detroit because they want to see how we did border crossings. And they heard how good we were. And they were having all the problems with Brexit and, you know, the EU. And they wanted to see somehow our legacy of we're being a great place to do border crossing, being you're working in uh, Canada. And and I think we overlook sometimes our huge assets. So is it more art or science, you think, these things? I don't want to say it's art. It's winging it. You know, the, somebody decides to run for office. Okay, I'm going to be the mayor. Okay, I want to be an academic. There's not a curriculum. There's not clinical protocols. It's not based on science. So one of the things that I've tried to do... Well, I know we're kind of at the end here, so I just wanted to make sure that... Uh, uh, you had any other closing points you want to make? Because, you know, this podcast was started because of COVID, by the way. Because No, I'm just think, I just love it. being back here. I love the state. I hope that I can contribute some way, my own legacy, to what's happened here. I'm amazed by what's happened here. If, you know, I've been coming here for a long, long time. If you asked me if this could happen, I would have said never. So I'm amazed. And I, I think it is a... It, it really is a consequence and a tribute to leadership here from a variety of sectors coming together. There's lots more to do, uh, but I think what you've accomplished is amazing, so I'm glad to play a small part in it. Thanks for having me, Ed. Oh, well, thank you again. I'm Richard Florida, a professor, but an author and many other things. Thanks for taking time. Great report, and thanks for doing this today. Thank you. Great being with you. We'll be right back with more on the Michigan Opportunity. Thanks for joining us today on the Michigan Opportunity. To hear more discussions like this, visit the Michigan Opportunity at thegreatvoice.com. We're very fortunate to have with us today Duke Wynn Abrahamson. She is the executive director of the Asian Pacific American Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to the show, Duke. Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me. And I know we've met a few times now, but... I think that uh, your organization is one of those really interesting ones. And why don't you sort of tell people quickly what the Asian Pacific American Chamber of Commerce is? Well, APAC will be celebrating 24 years of facilitating meaningful relationships between business owners with Asian heritage and U.S.-based companies and promoting the economic advancement of the Asian American Pacific Islander. Uh, businesses owned by Asian Americans with heritage from China, India, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, the Philippines, and Vietnam, among other countries, Fortune 500 corporations, entrepreneurs, business professionals, cultural organizations and associations, and political and government dig dignitaries have supported APAC throughout the years and are the reason for our success. Um, APAC is a collective voice for 30-plus Asian and Asian Pacific countries. We are able to do this through our strategic partnerships with Asian cultural associations throughout Michigan and nationally. So is so I don't know what other states are like, right? Is, is Michigan unique because we have a lot of manufacturing, so there might be more Asian? So, like, why do we have 30? <laughs> I didn't know it was that high. Well, that's a collective voice for a multitude of Asian cultures. So we're talking about, you know, there, there's different pockets everywhere across Michigan. Um, 
what's very different from Michigan's uh, Asian Chamber of Commerce as compared to maybe California or New York is, yes, you are correct. We are heavily automotive-based manufacturing, imports, exports. You know, not only are we uh, the motor city here in Detroit, but we also are a border state. So we do have a lot of import exports and um, manufacturing um, here in Michigan. Yeah, because I, I, I remember even uh, where I live, there's always was some kind of tier one or tier two Japanese companies, at least nearby where I live, because we're close to a lot of Ford and GM plants. And yes, but also I know that like there's only five councils in Michigan and one of them is from Japan, which, uh, you know, we're fortunate to have, I think. In this yes. State as well, yes. Uh, yes, Shindo. Yeah, he's wonderful. He is uh, a big advocate for APAC as well. Um, and we do have a pretty large community of Japanese uh, residents here in Michigan. And I do I do believe it has something to do with um, the Japanese companies that are here, such as Denso. Um, I know that there is even a huge Japanese community out in Battle Creek. And you think out in Battle Creek uh, with Kellogg, cereal and corn, uh, but actually there's uh, a lot of uh, Japanese businesses out there as well. That's interesting. I know Denso, we, we've we mentioned them on the show before, and we're going to try to get them on as a guest. And I know also Toyota has a large site out in Ann Arbor, too, for R&D, I think, somewhere in York Township, I believe. Yes. They're spread out um, all over Michigan, but there is a, a nice pocket in the Novi Farmington area, and there's a nice pocket in um, the Troy area as well. We we're, we're can talk about the Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo area and the Battle Creek area. So, you know, we have a, a nice spread throughout Michigan. And so how did you like, what was your path after all of that? I mean, obviously, you probably weren't on a traditional path. And I think I told you when we talked on the prep call, I'm like, my mom and dad didn't speak English either kind of in the beginning. So, I mean, that's always a bigger, hard thing for the first generation of folks. First generation, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's hard because this is all I know. Yeah. Um, it's all I know. But I do know that I, as a child, was the translator for my parents and my grandparents. Um, You know, there were a lot of things that we went through that uh, was the first generation. We didn't know what we were doing when we were doing it. I remember applying for uh, colleges and uh, one of my teachers told me that I should uh, be able to check that I'm a minority. I had no idea that I was a minority (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't know what that meant. I really didn't know what that meant. I was lucky enough to go to Wayne State University, and um, I I grew up in a predominantly uh, Caucasian white uh, neighborhood, and I was very lucky. I you know uh, I had a great circle of friends, very accepting neighborhood and school districts. But when I went to Wayne State University, the diversity there was uh, phenomenal. And I was able to join an organization called AAPN, the Asian Pacific, uh, the, the Asian That's American right. Professional Network. And okay. that opened up my eyes to uh, w- the possibilities, the possibilities of finding a community that supports each other and sharing those resources of those 
um, that first generation of uh, going through and, you know, finding those resources, not just of, oh, you know, translation, but hey, what do I need to do to get to that next level? What type of internships do I have to uh, do? Um, what connections uh, did I not have in the past that I actually do have that I can uh, tap into? And again, I, I think that that lent me in, the, in a great direction to where I am now um, and provided me skills and opportunities to know what there's lacking out there, what, uh, what this community needs and uh, try to fill that gap. So how did you, I, I, I don't think we ever discussed, but I don't know how, I don't know how long you've been at the organization, but how did you get to there, I guess? Uh, well, I, I started off very traditional Asian where I was pre-med and I worked at, <laughs> I worked at Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak as a nursing assistant. Um, you know, I, I think that the stereotypically the, the three, um, the three areas of study is engineering, medicine, or um, becoming a lawyer. Um, I, after working at the hospital, I realized that um, patient care was not where I, I, I fit very well. I was very lucky to uh, to find a job at a small nonprofit organization um, called the Epilepsy Foundation of Michigan back in 2006. And from there, I've been working in nonprofits ever since. We'll be right back with more on the Michigan Opportunity. Welcome back to the Michigan Opportunity. And now your host, Ed Clemente. What exactly are some of the things that... Uh that the chamber does that uh, the only thing I see is sometimes when you guys have an annual dinner or something, but I'm sure there's things you do all the time. So what are some of the normal, cause I know it's probably different than what my, my chamber did, for example. Well, I, I, we, you know, of course, every, I, I think we are, our biggest fundraiser is our annual gala and it is a great time. We have that at MGM grand in Detroit, uh, about 600 people are there and it's a fabulous time. Um, but some of the programs that we do that are really important to what we do is our East-West Business Connection. Um, that event is our um, supplier, um, meet the buyer. So we invite um, corporate buyers to meet minority-owned businesses, uh, suppliers. And we don't restrict it just to the Asian American Pacific Islander community. We uh, open that up to all minority-owned businesses, and they're able to be there and pitch to corporate buyers, uh, such as you know General Motors, Stellantis, Lear, Magna, um, the, big, uh, the big three and the tier ones and the tier twos. But we're also talking about about um, being able to pitch to uh, Wayne State University or Comerica Bank. Um, some of the great, uh, we have a great community of um, supplier diversity here in the Detroit and Michigan area where they're seeking minority-owned businesses to fulfill needs within their organization. And I think because of COVID and because of supply chain disruptions, a lot of bigger corporations are uh, filling those needs that they have with minority-owned businesses, and they're finding that what they need to do is diversify. 
the services and the supply chain that they have to make sure that there's that constant so that there's not that disruption, that there's somebody able to step in. And I think in the past, um, you know, there was a big heavy lean on the larger corporations, the larger uh, suppliers. But with everything that has happened in the last four years, there are a lot of uh, organizations, big corporations are finding, yeah, we're going to have that, but we're also going to have these uh, smaller organizations fill in the gaps where we can. And these organizations then grow to become those bigger um, suppliers. Uh, Once again, our guest is... Duke Wynn Abramson, Abrahamson, and uh, she's executive director for the Asian Pacific American Chamber of Commerce. Um, you kind of touched on my next question already, whether you knew it or not, but what kind of future trends do you see, you know, because obviously you're dealing a lot with international trade and things like that. Uh, what kind of trends do you see from your perspective? There? We, we, are, we deal with a lot of international trade, but we also deal with um, a lot of the small businesses. There's still a need for those small businesses to grow, uh, still a need for uh, resources for these small businesses. So APAC has uh, what we call the Small Business Action Committee, and this committee seeks to develop a variety of value-added education and resource opportunities for small businesses and APAC members. They're working on a workshop for uh, 2024 where you have an opportunity, these entrepreneurs will have opportunities to have one-on-ones with professionals, uh, whether it's an attorney, an accountant, social media experts or IT experts to talk to them and kind of um, give them a one-on-one in regards to where they are at in their company and how they can take it to that next level and what they need to do that to grow their business. Um, Not only that, we also... But we also have other programs for our, our bigger corporations that might have employee resource groups. So um, uh, this program will facilitate inclusive and collaborative meetings of ERG leaders from APAC members and companies to exchange and effectively uh, collaborate on key ERG um, issues and um, and help stakeholders uh, with um within the APAC network. Can you help me with ERG? ERG is Employee Resource Group. So uh, companies that might have an Asian employee resource group or a a business resource group basically is a community within that corporation, that that company. So let's say Comerica Bank has a large uh, Asian ERG and they get together and they talk about resources that they have, how they they can uplift each other, how they might be able to educate uh, within the company and corporation, how they can find resources for each other and mentor each other throughout um, their time at Comerica Bank. So you're you're looking at a minority group that is looking for a community and within that company, they've created that community for you. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, and APAC is here to facilitate that for those ERG groups where we'd love to connect those ERG leaders within, let's say, Comerica Bank and General Motors and um, Stellantis and Ford and connect those leaders together and share uh, resources and best practices and how to um, uplift each other uh, across corporations. 
Yeah, in fact, it's funny. The first time we met, or I should say I didn't meet you, you were on a panel, uh, for the U.S. Global Leadership Council, which you're a member, and so so am I of. But uh, it's kind of like your message was interesting there, too. And that's sort of what sort of I didn't know. I knew a little bit about the organization, but that's why I'm so glad you could take time to do it today. Um, is there uh, this this next question's a little bit more deeper. <laughs> it's up to you. If, unless there's something else you wanted to bring up about future trends. I don't know if you had one more point. I didn't. I couldn't tell if I could. I, you know, I'd, I'd love to give some statistics. Uh, sure, in sure. Uh, 2023, Asians make up 6% of the U.S. population, totaling 21.1 million, uh, with a remarkable 103% growth from 2000 uh, to 2023. We are the fastest growing uh, minority group in the U.S. and in Michigan. And does and I know Michigan, that was always, I remember in the legislature, that was the group that was growing the fastest always. And I know even from my days when I was at Liquor Control, just to get back to your youth, uh, I would often have people's children come and interpret uh, for hearings, because you know there sometimes wasn't a person that could translate right. you know, their, their language. So it was obvious across the state. You're absolutely right. I mean, I had people from all different sort of you know minority and ethnic groups across the state. So it's it's kind of interesting. I'm glad you pointed out all those other ones around the state too. Um, so the question I have is, you're probably one of my more unique guests, probably ever, on the way you came here for sure, and. So what advice would you give your 17-year-old self? Because you had a career that wasn't traditional, that's for sure. You've, you have kind of had to work your way through the system here. So yeah. what, would you, what advice would you give your 17-year-old? I don't know if you went to a Royal Oak school, but... Uh, I, I went to, I was very lucky. I went to Birmingham schools. I grew up oh, okay. in the Birmingham School Public District. Um, I think that uh, I, the, the advice that I would give my 17-year-old self is... Uh, don't worry about other people's expectations. Um, there's always expectations uh, coming from a multitude of areas, especially growing up Asian. There's an expectation of uh, you need to become a doctor. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there's a meme out there where it says um, uh, an Asian parent would tell you, I want you to be happy and be a doctor. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I think that my parents would be very, my parents are very proud of me on where I landed and what I'm doing now. I think that um, I think that any parent there is an they want certain things for their children. They want them to be happy. They want them to be successful. But I, I think also the children growing up now, there will be jobs that we had no idea uh, are available. Um, that would be available. I don't think that this job was a, an opportunity when I was 17. Um, so for me to uh, seek happiness, go find uh, what makes me happy, go towards my passions rather than uh, certain other people's expectations. I, I think uh, I think that that uh, is was my greatest barrier uh, myself. Uh, having expectations that I put on myself that I thought that other people um, had those expectations of me. And uh, no matter where I ended up or what I ended up doing, my parents were proud no matter what I did. 
So oh, that's a nice story. Good. I'm glad. And, and they still live in the area. Uh, uh, my my dad lives in Bloomfield Hills, and my mom lives in uh, Huntington Be- Huntington Beach in California. Oh, okay. Well, your last question is: You've lived here long enough now. What is your like? What's one of the more favorite things you like to do in Michigan? I think that Michigan is one of those states where you can do everything. There is so much that you can do. We have um, water activities. We have um, snow activities. We have sand dunes. We have hiking trails. We have a phenomenal greenery and the colors of the fall. So I, I spend a lot of time outdoors and, and doing these activities. And I, I think that certain people, some pictures that I might post, people are like, oh, are you in Colorado? And I'm like, no, this is, this is Michigan. Uh, welcome to Michigan. I want to thank you again. It was uh, Duke Wynn Abrahamson, and she's the executive director of the Asian Pacific American Chamber of Commerce. And Duke, you did a great job. You covered a lot of bases. Thanks again for uh, doing the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Ed. It was a great time. Thanks for joining us today on the Michigan Opportunity. To hear more discussions like this, visit the Michigan Opportunity at thegreatvoice.com. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Whether you're looking for small business resources, exploring an expansion or relocation, or seeking a world-class workforce, visit michiganbusiness.org to learn how you can make it in Michigan.